you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we're going to be talking about wives, all right? And uh, so I was just kind of thinking about the crowd. I thought maybe we should just lay down some ground rules, okay? Uh, this morning um, there's going to be no elbowing, no kind of giving those scant looks, okay? Uh, there's going to be, guys, I don't want you... Standing up on your chairs, dancing, calling out hallelujah, okay? None of that. We just kind of want to lay these ground rules down here because today we're going to be talking about wives. Next week, guess what, men? Husbands, all right? So for you wives, you want to make sure that he's in church next Sunday, okay? Right? Next week's husbands, this week's is wives. And, and guys, by the way, if you uh, think you're going to just you know go hide in your garage somewhere or go out in the middle of nowhere on your bass boat and be out there on the lake or on the golf course, we, we will find you, okay? We have some information we think is pertinent to your lives, okay? Just kidding, all right. But we are going to be talking about wives today. Joe Aldrich said about marriage, he said this, the number one evangelistic tool in America today is a successful marriage because it is a living miracle. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what does a true biblical godly, life-giving, fulfilling marriage, what does it really look like? That's what we're going to be talking about in these next few weeks. And really, how in the world is that even possible? I mean, you know the statistics. I know them. We experience it. We've seen it in our family. But how really can we as Christians not settle for a status quo relationship? But actually, as, as married couples, for all of us that are married in this room, how is it that we can truly experience a fulfilling, God-honoring marriage? And that's what we want to talk about. For those of you who are here today and, and you're not married, uh, perhaps you think maybe God is calling you marriage, we're going to be talking about in these next few weeks the kind of person that you want to marry. And for all of you that are married, we are going to be laying out what does the Bible say, what does God say about marriage. And so that's what we're going to be looking at when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 through 33. Now, all, all Christian marriages are to be sourced in good theology. There is a reason why you don't pick up the book of Ephesians and it begins with, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? It doesn't begin that way. You never find instruction for Christian living found at the beginning You always find it that follows good theology. God wants us first to understand who we are in Christ, and it's from this relationship with Christ that we actually can fulfill the roles that we have. That is true for the book of Ephesians. We are a people that's been rescued from sin. And so just to review the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, it talks about that we are a new people. We have been made alive in Christ. We have been blessed, like it says in 1-3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you look at Ephesians 2-5, he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive in Christ, for by grace you have been saved. This is the Christian message. We are all dead in our sins. We have all gone astray from God. God has rescued us. He's made us alive. He sent his Son actually pay the penalty for our sin that we who believe in Christ are forgiven and are freely given the life of Christ. That is the Christian message. That is the gospel. And so we are a new people, and who we are directly influences how we live. Chapters 4 through 6 tells us that we have a new potential. 
as Christians, we can walk with God. As people who are united with Christ, we can walk with God, and that's what he starts outlining. We, we can walk with God beginning in chapter 4 all the way through chapter 6. And furthermore, we have a, we're not only a new people, we have a new potential, we have a new power. And we looked at this a few weeks ago, but I want you to see it again. Look at Ephesians 5.18. We are filled with the Spirit. God enables us to actually fulfill the roles in which he's called us. He says, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that's utter waste, but be filled with the Spirit. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit at Ephesians 1.13 at the moment you believe, at salvation. But we continually come to God, and to be filled with the Spirit means to be under, under the control of the Spirit. We are continually coming to God and saying, Lord, help me, fill me. I want to be under your control so that I can do as you've asked. We are filled with the Spirit. That is the new power in life. And Jesus made it really clear. He said, guess what? I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That is especially true when it comes to marriage. We got so much breakdown in marriage because we have folks that are missing the underlying foundation for every godly marriage, and that is sourced in a life with Jesus Christ, a coming to him uh, for renewal in the Holy Spirit. And with that, we have new priorities in life. That new priority, he summarizes in verse 21 in chapter 5, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We are to, to, subject, to, to subject yourself to someone is to give away, give, give away, to give another precedence, priority. And we are all called to do this. This is how we live. We are to give other people priority in our life. We are to fulfill and walk like Jesus did. Now, let me just tell you this, that our relationship with Christ enables us to experience oneness in marriage, okay? Because we actually have Christ living within us, we actually can fulfill what he's called us to do, and namely, that is to love and respect our spouse. Now, there's a lot of marriage counseling that takes place today, and folks come into marriage counseling, and if, and if you do not have the foundation of a relationship with Christ, at best, all we can do is give you like a band-aid until the next train wreck, okay? God wants us to experience transformation, not a simple fix until the next problem. And so that's what he's outlined. You want to know, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in God's ways? What does that look like in marriage? Well, that's what he's going to show us. And frankly, friends, what we're talking about is critical. The world is watching. You know, our spouse is needing this. You, if you want to experience fulfillment in your lives, this is the path if you're married. And the other thing I want to bring to your attention is God is glorified by this. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were asking him questions about marriage and divorce? Remember what Jesus said about marriage? You can find it in Mark chapter 10, verse 7. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. There is a leaving of mama and papa, all right? And what? And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then he says this, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What we're after, what Christ is seeking to establish in marital relationships is oneness. The world 
our flesh and the devil is seeking to break apart oneness, to create division, Jesus says, I want them to experience oneness. If you want to know what that looks like, it's actually outlined in the passage that we're looking at today. So how does Christ bring oneness to marriage? Very simple. We have to, first of all, we need to be knowing his will, and second, growing in our roles. So what is, when we go to knowing his will, what is knowing God's will for marriage for wives? Well, let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. You see, the picture he gives of marriage is Christ and the church, where Christ sacrificially dies, enables the church to live, and the church is in subjection, wanting willfully, joyfully, lovingly to do as the head Christ says. That is the picture of what the marriage is to look like. It's what the church in relationship to Christ is. Frankly, we have a huge breakdown right now because we have a church that says whatever Jesus has to say, we can take it or leave it. We're doing our own program. We have custom-designed spirituality, and God says, I know nothing of it. We, are to, we want to do the will of the Father. We want to go his ways. That is what the church is to do, and that is what marriage is to look like, this beautiful union of joy, celebration, honor. And so that's what he's going to outline here, and he does. He says, just as the, the Christ is the head of the church, okay, so he says there are roles in marriage. And so we're going to be talking about that. He says in verse 21, he says, wives, be subject to your own husband. Subject is a carryover from verse 21. So really to subject is to actually voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of another. The Greek word there is hupotasso. It means, first of all, hupo is under, tasso is to line up. So it's to line up under. It is to rank yourself beneath. It is to willingly place yourself under the leadership of your husband. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So if you're married here today and your spouse is at church with you, I'd, I'd like you to maybe just turn and look, okay? You wives, just look maybe at your husband. You see that sleek fellow that's right by you there? All right? He's all muscle. He just keeps getting better looking every day, doesn't he, right? Okay, his hair is turning a little bit gray. That's wisdom coming on, right? Maybe it's falling out. I don't know what that is, but okay, you know, but I want you to know, all right, that is that man God has placed in a position. He didn't earn it. He didn't go to school on it, although that probably would have been a good idea. He is, it is the position that God has placed him. He has a role. You come back next week, you think this is heavy, wait for next week what God calls husbands to do. But he has been placed in a role. And frankly, so have you. And the big question today is, will you fulfill the role that God has empowered you and called you to? And so, really, you might want to see a, a, a synonym of this. If I was to ask, be asked to give, like, one verse for marriage counseling, and I could only have one shot and one verse, I would pick Ephesians 5.33. He summarizes all of marriage. He says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. Love, respect. Now, Let's just talk a little bit about submission, okay? That is a very scary word. 
People get really upset about that. Our culture has just taken this word that's actually a beautiful word and destroyed it and filled it with all sorts of wild, weird meanings. I want to talk about what submission is not, okay? Let me just kind of put some parameters and, and address some misconceptions. Submission does not imply inferiority, okay? Actually, Galatians 3.28 says that we are one. Spiritually, there is no difference between a male and a female, okay? In fact, Jesus, Jesus is equal with the Father, and yet he placed himself in submission to the Father's will. He is absolutely equal. He's God the Son. It's like there's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. He placed himself in a particular role, a role of submission to fulfill the will of the Father. And so women are not, as a group, made serfs of men. Actually, the heart of a husband is to love and to cherish his wife. And the, in fact, that's what it says in Proverbs 31, verse 11. He says, the heart of a husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. I mean, marriage is a beautiful union. It is a partnership. It is a oneness. It is a cherishing. It is a loving uh, relationship. I can tell you, like, I've, I've never made any significant decision without meeting with Karina and talking it over. We come to an agreement and oneness. And I can tell you a lot of times I've deferred to her because she's got some things that, that I, frankly, I hadn't thought about. So it is a oneness. And first, and let me give you another thing. Submission has nothing to do, it's very different than the submission of children, which we're going to be addressing in a few weeks when you see children obey your parents 6-1, okay? Or like slaves who are to obey their master. It's actually a totally different word, and it's a different concept. And so this idea where you got some guy and he's like telling his wife, hey, hand me the remote, go fix me a snack, I'm hungry. Uh, fetch my slippers, go to the store for me, will you? I mean, that guy understands nothing of what we're talking about. That man is sinning. If your home looks like that, or you're a husband, or you, uh, there's a husband treating his wife like that, this has nothing to do with the Bible or God. What we're, we're in need of here at this point with the male is repentance. Um, Christian submission is not a blind, slavish submission, a dehumanizing subject, subjugation. It's, it's nothing like that. Christian submission is not where a wife surrenders independent thought, okay? I mean, it's, it's not like, okay, she just becomes like this like, droid, all right? And she just talks when you want her to talk. It, it's nothing like that. These are foreign misconceptions that have been placed on it. Um, it does not mean that you stifle your wife's uh, gifts and in individuality, okay? And frankly, Many wives are smarter, wiser, more godly than their husbands. That is not the issue, okay? And so, really, you recognize the differences, and you appreciate them, and if you're smart, you work together where the two really become one, and it's like a, it's like a multiplication thing. I mean, you are greater and better together. And it does not mean that uh, a wife enables a husband to sin, or to act irresponsibly. The wife, and by the way, if you find yourself in a situation where there is a, it's psychologically dangerous or physically abusive, you need to get help. Come talk to one of our pastors or elders, but that is, has nothing to do with what the Bible is talking about. Okay? You know, and by the way, that's frankly what most women are afraid of when it comes to this whole issue of submission. They are afraid they're going to lose their identity. So, 
Submission is this. It means that a wife willingly and lovingly places herself under her husband's leadership. That's what it means. She willingly and lovingly places herself under the husband's leadership. So what you need to know is this is God's will. We have to know his will, and then we need to be growing in his roles. And so let me just tell you what this looks like, and you can kind of see that slide here. It's based on Ephesians 5.33. Let me just state it this way. Without love, which happens to be a wife's deepest need, you know what happens? She has the tendency to react without respect, which happens to be his greatest need. And without respect, which is the husband's greatest need, he has a tendency to react without love, which happens to be her greatest need. And it, and it works together. It's a reciprocal relationship. And so this is what, what we are faced with. God actually not only calls us to roles, but he actually tells us how we can best fulfill those roles. And so when it comes to the wife, she is, verse 22, to be subject to her own husband. So now there's a woman by the name of Martha Peace. She wrote a book called Excellent, The Excellent Wife. And in it, she actually addresses specific ways wives are not submissive. Okay? So let me just, just kind of give to you, read to you what Martha wrote in terms of wives that are not submissive. Uh, just one, she does, not, she does things that are annoying or vexing to her husband. Okay? Vexing has the idea of things that are irritating, puzzling, baffling. She's going to debate at length. She lists another. She does not discipline the children as she should, even after her husband asks her to. Uh, she's more loyal to others than to her husband, whether that be loyal to friends or loyal to the kids. Okay? And that kind of looks like this. Well, okay, what you're doing here, honey, will... We'll just, that's going to be a secret from dad, okay? Like these dresses that we're buying or, uh, you know, he doesn't really want you with this particular crowd of friends, but I won't tell him it'd be our little secret, okay? She's trying to address that. Um, another one she puts down, she argues or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder when she does not get her own way, okay? Well, if that's taking place, you need to know, need to know that that's, that's not really fulfilling what the scripture is called. And let me throw one of the ways this happens. It's called passive-aggressive. And what this looks like, by the way, this passive-aggressive behavior, uh, it happens on the job. I have found it happens in churches. I've uh, personally experienced it and witnessed it, and it happens in marriages. And what it looks like this is that uh, if the husband is not doing something that the wife thinks he should, then she gives him the cold shoulder, okay? And she's like ice, okay? And, and she's not talking, and she's not going along with anything. And then if the husband does do something that she thinks that she should be doing, why, she's just, oh, you're wonderful. And she's just, and what she's doing, this is not edification. This is called manipulation, okay? She says, uh, this pouting, giving the cold shoulder, that's not it. Here's another one that she lists, specific ways of wives that are not submissive. She says, she does not stay within the limits of their budget. Another one she puts down, she corrects, interrupts, talks for her husband, and is too outspoken when others are around. Another one she writes is, she manipulates him to get her own way. She may manipulate by deceit, tears, begging, nagging, complaining, anger, or intimidation. You know, women that are doing this, they are not trusting God at this point. They're trusting in themselves to try to orient or redirect the situation. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, you, you can actually hear where ladies might 
hear some woman that says, you know, I'm trying to do this because my, my husband thinks that I should. Oh, sweetie there, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to line out your husband and get him to do this. Okay. Or it's kind of like the, the lady that said, you know, all right. So that husband, he's the head. But I'm the neck. And I'm going to turn that little head wherever I want it to go. Okay. Uh, that's the wrong approach. Okay. All right. Um, she writes another thing. She makes important decisions without consulting him. Okay. Uh, let me give you a few others that she wrote in her book. She directly defies his wishes, whether that be with the finances or the schedule or activity they planned. Uh, she kind of goes to the approach, no, you know, I decided to do something a little bit different. A couple more. She worries about the decisions he makes, and she's going to take matters into her own hands. And finally, she does not pay attention to what he says. Wives, you have a tremendous role. This is not easy can be very difficult. And furthermore, you may not have a lot of good role models. Maybe your mom really didn't subscribe to what God had to say. Maybe you've not really been influenced by other ladies, and I'm, I'm sorry, that in a church like this, that does not need to be the case. It's, it's probably just you taking some initiative and making a phone call. But let me tell you, it is a choice and a decision that you and you alone can make. You can't, it, you can't like, well, I'm going to get the pastor. You can't be a husband. I'm going to get the pastor to talk to my wife and he'll straighten her out. No. No. Not the counselor. Not the church. This woman, you, the wife, you have to make the decision. It's every wife's decision. And let me just show you the mindset that makes this really work. You may have missed it, but you see in Ephesians 5.22, he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. When you see stepping into your role as to the Lord, that makes all the difference. When you serve your mate and you envision that you are serving Christ, then it changes everything. It makes this possible. Elizabeth George, in her book, A Woman After God's Own Heart, writes, As soon as I stopped thinking about submitting to Jim and started thinking about submitting to the Lord, my struggle to submit slowly began to abate. And frankly... It says in the book of Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who shames him is like rottenness to his bones. And so women, wives, you have a choice. There's some real disadvantages of setting this passage aside. To take, you know, like 5, 22 through 24, do a little Thomas Jefferson Bible, get the little knife, pen knife out there, cut that out and... And just cut it out and just pretend like it's not there and to miss it. Um, Let me just give you some of the disadvantages. You will find it hard to pray and hard to ask God for guidance when the guidance that he's given you, you're going, well, I ain't going to do that. Uh, You're going to feel like you're not fulfilling your role. You you will find that you'll be disappointed in yourself. Um, You'll find that it actually affects all aspects of your life. I mean, it doesn't matter, men, women, when we're not doing as God intended, as he's empowered, as he's had preserved in the scripture, we all feel bad. It's like the fever heat of summer. It's Psalm 32 all over again. You know, it affects every area of your life. And let me just throw this one more point out here. If you decide to just chunk this, you are setting your husband up for failure. Now, this is no excuse, but if you are really not 
paying a whole lot of attention to your husband. You really just kind of say, I don't think so on these verses. Uh, what you're doing is you're putting him at a real strong potential risk. Because what a man most desires and needs, not only according to Scripture, but this is according to reality, is the respect, respect of his wife. And if you go, um, I'm not doing that. No, sirree. Well, somewhere along the line, some gal probably will. And, and what happens is she goes, this guy's halfway decent. And she shows him respect. She esteems him. She makes him feel important. And you know what happens? Respect is like adrenaline. It makes a man come alive. And it is no excuse for any, any appropriate relationship, emotional, sexual. But I'm just saying, wives, you're putting your husband at great danger if you decide to say, I don't think so, to God on his word on this subject. So, by the way, think of the rewards, though. Think of the great rewards if you really sought the Lord and walked in the Spirit, followed this passage. I mean, you're going to build a relationship with your husband that's going to last a lifetime. He will be your best friend. When those kids are out of the house, you're not going to turn and go, oh, who's that? It's like, whoa, this is your best friend. You have a relationship. It is going to grow and flourish. You're going to have all these experience together because you made the investment. And by the way, we all come into marriage as amateurs. All right. Now, some people think it's all about chemistry. Chemistry, this whole idea of romantic chemistry has a way of fizzling out pretty fast. But relationship with a wife, it, it's and your husband and wife, it is a long-term covenant, and you develop compatibility in it, and you work on growing together through the thick and the thin, the good times, the bad, the difficult, the joys, the trials, and you find that your hearts are melded and blended together, but it all starts with us fulfilling these roles. And you know, when you do this, there is great stability for you and your home. Your kids see this. They're going to follow the patterns, basically, that you're laying before them. And there's going to be peace in your heart and peace with your home because you have peace with God. You're going his way. And there's going to be growth in your life. I mean, marriage is just like a custom-designed invention of God to bring about sanctification in our life, to change us, mold us, confront us with our pride and our selfishness and our sin, and to bring us to a point where we're back at the cross saying, Lord, help me. Do your will in my life, and we grow. And, you know, Think about it. That world that's watching, when we go God's way, it testifies to the world His way is the right way. It is good and it is well. And you know, wives, if you choose to follow this passage, you are putting your husband in a position where he can be everything that God intended. Now, I can almost, I can almost sense this. I can see someone just saying, okay, I want to put my hand in the air and ask the question. What do you do if your husband is not respectable? What do you do if he is spiritually stagnant or straying or flat-out disobedient? Then what? What do you do? Let me give you a parallel passage. You might want to jot this down. 1 Peter chapter 3. He actually, God actually addresses this question. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior 
of their wives as they observe your chaste, which speaks of pure or holy and respectful behavior. God's plan is for you to be faithful. You to be faithful even if your husband is faithless. Okay? Now, if you are married to an unbeliever, we have folks like that in our church. This, by the way, this is tough stuff. Okay? When your husband, guys, you need to know this. If you are out sinning, you are spiritually stagnant, you are a bump on the log, you are not responding to your wife as Christ has called you, you are making your marriage very difficult. God will hold you accountable for this. And there are wives that are married to non-believers. And it's a, it can at times be a very tough situation. So how do you respond? Well, what you want to do is you want to be faithful and bloom where God has planted you. You want to love your husband, appreciate him, be involved in his life. Frankly, he will see Jesus in you. I have had someone give me the testimony of him coming to Christ late in life based upon the testimony and the faithfulness of his wife years after years, and he put her through the paces. He described himself as the wolf. Just imagine what that home life must have looked like. But she was faithful, gracious, holy. She was a woman of faith and took God at his word and followed through. You know, if you, you know you're gonna, what you want to do, you want to be involved. If you're married to an unbeliever, be involved in his life to the point where he asks you to do something that, that's sinful. Okay? Whether that be lying or getting drunk or whatever that is, you would just say, you know, I thank you for wanting to include me on this, but that's just something that I can't do. How about we go out to dinner or go bowling or, or a host of other things that you could do? But you just, that's what you want to do. It's kind of like um, Ruth Graham Bell. Billy Graham's wife. She said this, it is my job to love Billy. It's God's job to make him good. Okay? And so you, what do you do? You love your husband. Now, I, uh, I just want to just talk just to the wives here for a few minutes. Okay? Um, I, wanted, I just got these down. They're no in particular order, but I was, I was thinking of hindrances to fulfilling your role as a godly wife. You know, one of the things that's so awesome about being about part of fellowship is that we have so many people that actually embody the vision of growing deep like a tree. They're sinking deep roots. They're growing in the word, growing in grace, growing in what it means to walk in the spirit. And at the same time, as those roots are going deep, that tree is growing out and it's bearing much fruit, fruit that comes out of life, fruit that's actually reproducing. And so I just want to address all of you godly wives out there, and I just want to throw out some hindrances to you fulfilling your role as a godly wife. First one I want to say is comparing your situation with others. This is deadly, okay? Comparing your, your husband, your life, your finances, your house, your car, a host of other things, your wardrobe with somebody else's, man, that is just, it just it's like saps the life out of you. And what happens is you're going to find that comparison breeds discontentment. Just don't do it. Let me give you another hindrance. Cultivating bitterness. Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 12:15 that bitterness is like a root, and it's like a seed and it's a root. And if it is allowed to grow and flourish, it's going to cause widespread devastation. Um, you want to address bitterness right away. Call it what it is. Confess it. Ask God to fill you with love. But this idea of nagging, tearing at him, wearing him down, being at his throat, in his face, um, 
quarreling over everything, this, this is actually going to be a hindrance to you fulfilling your role as a godly wife. Now, basically, basically what you're going to find is that people who are not at peace with God and themselves have a hard time being at peace with others. And if you're a wife, especially your husband. What that means, ladies, and this might take some time meetings with some other ladies or maybe even going and meeting with a counselor. But at some point in your life, you've got to bury the baggage. You have to learn to forgive your husband. Yeah, we'd all like him perfect. But guess what? There's only one perfect man on this earth. His name? Jesus Christ. Your husband's a sinner just like you are. He has got all sorts of imperfections. You have to accept him as he is. And that means that you have to be willing to forgive him. He is probably looking for that. And not only do you have to forgive your mate, but some of you, and I've experienced this in meeting with couples, you have to come to a point where you have forgiven yourself. You have taken God at his word. When he says that I will wash you clean, that your iniquities are removed as far as the east is from the west, you have to believe, God, that you are forgiven and set free. God never sees you in your sin. He always sees you in his son. And the freedom of grace and forgiveness alone allows you to be the woman God intended you to be. Let me give you another one, just a hindrance. Um, Caring for other pursuits and other people more than your husband. In 1996, one of our fellow Texans, a guy by the name of George Strait, had a number one country music song. And its chorus went, I know she still loves me, but I don't think she likes me anymore. Hmm, that's a strange song. Why in the world did a song like that ever become number one? Let me just tell you. Because there's a whole lot of guys that resonated with that song. I know she loves me. She's made a commitment to me. She's got a ring on her hand. She's in my house, sleeps in my bed. We eat at the same table, generally. But I don't really think that she likes me. Uh, Wives, your husband knows if you like him. We got this idea that, oh, I love my husband. I just don't like him. Okay, you can say that and maybe think that for a few minutes or whatever. But if that's your mindset and that's how you're going through that, your husband knows that. It is a hindrance to you. You who are desiring to walk in God's ways. Um, he likes to know that you like just being with him. Doing things together. That you have actually have a friendship. And friendship means that you actually have trust. And there's conversation. Conversation, just a reminder for everybody, is talking and listening. And responding to what you heard and talk. Okay, that's a conversation. Okay, that's, that's what is needed. You know, if you care for other pursuits or other people more than your husband, he knows that. And really, he wants your heart and his heart, Titus 1, just like Jesus said. Let me give you another hindrance. Closing down physical intimacy with your husband. Let me just put it to you this way. Your husband's need for sexual intimacy is probably comparable to your need for emotional intimacy. Okay? This is, it's like this. A wife's physical uh, response to her affirms his masculinity, and it is a reciprocal relationship. When you find that if you have a healthy physical relationship and there's investment made there, that all the other aspects of your relationship have a tendency to grow and develop. And as all the other aspects of your relationship grow and develop, communication, trust, friendship, being around, there is a reciprocal that your physical relationship grows and develops. But I just want to throw that out there 
that closing down physical intimacy with your husband is going to create great problems to your marriage because God has designed you and him in a particular way. And if you're like, okay, Grant, you got a Bible verse on that? I do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Paul, God actually had Paul address this issue. You might want to jot this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And this is what he says. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so, listen, that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of control. When this doesn't happen, let me just tell you what happens with the husband. He becomes frustrated, and at some point then, he actually becomes bitter, and at that point, he is a magnet for temptation. Let me give you another hindrance for all of you wives seeking to just grow as a godly wife. A hindrance of criticizing your husband, especially in public. This just kills him. Criticizing your husband ruins him, okay? Now, I mean, have you ever been around, like, some women, and, like, some woman just, like, just rips into her husband, just starts mowing him down, you know, just napalms him right there. Oh, my husband's going to me crazy, you know. And she just kind of goes on like that. Uh, let me just tell you this. If you can't respect your man in public, there's a pretty good odds that you can't respect him in private. And after all, that's what God is calling you to do. I heard of a woman who, she was having a dream, a nightmare or something. She, she wakes up. <gasps> Henry, Henry, wake up. I had this terrible dream. I thought like, Henry's trying to come to What is it? And she goes, oh, this dream. I had a dream that they were having an auction for husbands. And, and some of these husbands, they were going for like, like $10,000. And there were many that were going for millions. And Henry's like, well, well, how much were husbands like me going for? And she goes, oh, that's what was so disgusting. They were taking husbands like you and putting them in bunches and selling them for a dollar for a bunch. Oh, you're so bad, you're wrecking my dreams even, you know. Okay, if you communicate things like that to your husband, that's just tearing him down. You're just putting him down into the ground. There is a reason why he's not rising above any level past your shoe, because you put him there, okay? You don't want to do that. Let me, let me give you another hindrance. Communicating and dealing with conflict with the absence of love and respect. If, if, that's, if love and respect is missing, especially in your voice and your words, he's going to pick that up. It's going to be a real hindrance. It says in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't say, you always do this. You never do this. Okay? You're worse than your mother. Don't. Do not bring mama into this, okay? That will never help you, okay? You don't want to do that. You don't want to call names, okay? Let me give you just a final hindrance that I just jotted down. Complacency in your spiritual life is going to hinder you from being the woman that God intended. You know, just just the basics of walking with God, reading his word, praying, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, he says, Your adornment must not be merely external braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. 
Nothing wrong with that. But he says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Hey, ladies, it is great to look sharp. But you remember, you want to be matching, right? You want to have a heart that matches the outside. You know, a heart filled with love and reverence for God, you know what that's going to do? That will give you the ability to love and respect your spouse. Let me just, in closing, give you some practical pursuits for a godly wife. Loving respect. That's what you're after, loving respect. Loving respect is an attitude of unconditional acceptance. That husband that you're married to, you need to, as an act of following God, accept him as he is. He is God's gift to you, okay? He ha- you have to be able to give him the freedom to fail because he is going to fail and that he knows that you still accept him, that he's not on some sort of conditional relationship with you. Loving respect is keeping your husband in focus as a top priority. You've got to prioritize some of your time and your energy and your attention to him. You don't just transfer, well, it's all on my kids or it's all on my job. Hey, this is the preeminent relationship apart from your relationship with God. You've got to you have to share some time with him. Uh, let me ask you, do you pray for your husband? Because if you're not, who in the world is? Think the folks at work are, at the job? Probably not. You want to prioritize some time for your husband. Loving respect means responding to your husband with words and actions in a positive manner. And this can be really hard. I did some reading this. Elizabeth George, who wrote this book, A Woman After God's Own Heart, she became a Christian a little bit later in life. She found this whole subject of submission very hard. She was a student in the 60s. She was part of the women's, uh, what was that kind of movement, liberation movement, there we go, in the 70s. And after she became a Christian, she found the whole idea of submission very difficult. And she would say, you know, I'll give you a quote, yet old ways die hard. I would buck, snort, kick, and fight with Jim about everything, from anything what lane he was driving into, whether we're getting donuts before or after church. I mean, she apparently was just always doing that. She found that what she had to do was train herself to respond correctly. It started with not saying negative things and then saying the word sure. And not like sure, but sure with a melodic ring to it, okay? You want to respond to your husband in ways that express uh, that you, you accept him. There's positive aspects to that. Let me give you another one. Loving respect is voluntarily regarding, noticing, honoring, and admiring him. Ladies, let me just give you the big secret. If you can encourage your husband, you are going to turn him loose. Men desperately need the encouragement, the support, the words of appreciation from their wives. They are looking for it. That communicates respect. You just try it. Just try it. Just just give a few words of encouragement to your husband. There's going to be a bounce to his step. Man, he's going to like think about like, I want to die for you. I want to sacrifice you for you. I want to love you because it's what drives him. He wants to hear it. He wants to see it in your eyes. And, and let me, you want bonus points? You want to add a million dollars to his love bank? Sure. What would that be? If he hears you bragging on him in public, whoa, watch out. Man, it's just like, whoa. You mean if he hears that you were talking about like how he's wise or or how he's a good dad, or how he takes care of you, or he works hard, um, he's really growing in the word, he's a leader, he takes care of you. I mean, that guy is just going to be on fire if he hears, overhears you bragging on him in public. You know, 
And let me give you just a final one. Loving respect does not diffuse his spiritual life. Okay? Uh, There is a noble and fine art of encouraging without manipulating. But when, if you have a husband who is like at church here today, uh, he's reading the word, he's praying, wants to be a part of something like men's fraternity. He'd like to talk with you about something he heard in the sermon, maybe especially today. I don't know, but he, you know what you want to do? You want to be encouraging. This is not the material for gnashing of teeth when your husband is showing spiritual life. Rather, this is, this is cause for great praise and celebration. In her book, The Excellent Wife, Martha Peace writes this. In summary, submission is a way of rightly responding to another person. A wife can respond with tenderness and gentleness, or she can respond with harshness and irritation. Submission is the way that all Christians should respond to God and the way the wife should respond to her husband. In the areas where you know you have failed, you should take a few minutes and confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1.9 Then go to your husband and ask for forgiveness. It may be the best for you to be specific and give examples. Your attitude should be humble, focusing at this time on what you have done wrong. You can begin today to be a gentle, godly, submissive wife to your husband. It is the heart of God for you. And after all, isn't that what we want as Christians? I mean, praise God, we have a Savior. We all need a Savior. But God does not want to leave us in a particular situation of no growth. He wants to transform us. And he does so through his spirit, through his word. And wives, for all of you many godly wives that are doing this, you are allowing and releasing your husband to be the man that God intended. Because when a wife truly respects and loves her husband, a husband feels like he can actually emerge and go forward. Especially when he fails and you're still respecting him and still loving him. It gives him that security that allows him to emerge and to move forward. And husbands, if your wives are, are, are doing this, they're trying. They, they're not going to be perfect at this. And you need to appreciate them. You have been blessed beyond measure. It says, in the book of Proverbs, it ends this way. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also saying, and praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, one, our relationship with Christ, he really enables us, really enables us to experience oneness in marriage. Lord, I just want to thank you that you have given us your word with clarity and authority. You have actually described not only our roles, but how we can go about fulfilling these roles. And not only telling us, but Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit that this can be a reality. So, Lord, you know all our shortcomings. You know, the times we just flat out failed. Um, perhaps we've done the hurtful things. Lord, we once again come to you, confessing our sin, experiencing the cleansing found in your Son, and we step forward by grace. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, for every wife that is here today, that you would give her the grace and the enablement and the desire to go your way, that she might fulfill and be everything that you've called her to, and that her home might be all that you've intended. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.